Good morning, church. Good to be with you all this morning. Uh, Pastor Dwayne is in Pittsburgh this morning. Many of you know the uh, Johnson family. They were members here at Open Door, and they uh, left uh, a few years ago to go and plant a church up in Pittsburgh. And so Pastor Dwayne is up there preaching, and we've set a team. Uh, Kenneth and Patrick have led a team up there to serve this week. So we can be praying for them uh, this week as they serve uh, the church there in Pittsburgh. My name is Jay Vavirk, in case you don't know who I am. I, I serve as the uh, next generation minister here at Open Door, which means I get the privilege to uh, minister to, uh, to families from birth through college. So uh, a big group there. And so we have a team of folks that are involved in that. It is a great joy of mine to do that. I, I love uh, what I do every week uh, to be able to serve our families here at Open Door. Uh, we're going to be uh, in Deuteronomy 30, so you can turn there if you have a Bible with you this morning. Deuteronomy 30, we're going to be looking at the end of the uh, Pentateuch, the end of Deuteronomy, the end of the Pentateuch. Um, my assignment was the very end of chapter 26 through chapter 34, which is kind of a lot. So we're going to focus on Deuteronomy 30 uh, this morning together. As you're turning there, I want you to take a moment to remember two Januarys ago. Uh, I can't remember last week, so that might be a little bit hard. But remember, two, two Januarys ago, we began our study in the book of Genesis. And uh, I want you to, to recall um, those very first days, right? When God created the heavens and the earth, he created man. And he put man in the garden uh, to enjoy life with him there in the garden. And I want us to kind of consider what that might have been like. And yet, as I ask you to do that, I recognize that's really an impossibility because we're trying to do that with, with minds that have been affected by the fall. And so to, to try to understand what it's like to live with God in a perfect relationship, in a perfect world before sin, is really impossible. It's equally impossible for us to feel the weight of regret that Adam and Eve must have felt upon seeing it all unravel because of their sin. And just as man, just as Adam and Eve did not believe the promise of life that God gave in the garden, so man has sought to find life elsewhere. Ever since that day, we still see it today. Consider these phrases that maybe you hear on a regular basis. Ask someone how they're doing, they might say, well, I'm just living the dream. Some might say, well, I'm living my best life. Last week, our family had the privilege to go to uh, Hawaii with my, my wife's family and my father-in-law very generously wanted to take the whole family there. He spent some years there as a boy and wanted his family to experience that. So we got to do that last week. So it's, yeah, we were living our best life last, last week uh, in Hawaii, right? So we might hear someone say, I'm living my best life. Or maybe you've heard this phrase, YOLO. I guess it's not really a phrase. You only live once, right? Just thought that phrase should be followed by that passage in Acts where it says, and then you face judgment, but it kind of ruins the t-shirt uh, if you do that. So, uh, but that's the reality, right? We, we only live once, right? We get this wallet. So man has been desiring to live an abundant life, a full life ever since the fall. Even if that life for many is confined to our time on earth here apart from God. As I mentioned, we were in Hawaii last week, and while I was there, um, there's just so many incredible things to do while you're there, and uh, obviously it's an island, so there's water everywhere. But off the coast of Hawaii, I got to, to both experience the beauty of life and the preciousness of life. 
So uh, last Wednesday, uh, our family, my wife, Laura, and our three boys, we all went to this place called Hanama Bay, which is sort of the premier snorkeling place in uh, on Oahu. And so we went there and uh, we spent uh, three, four hours in the water, just snorkeling around these reefs and looking at all the different fish and, and marine life that live there. We saw a sea snake. My boys were particularly excited about that. Uh, and and just, just in wonder, seeing all the beauty that God has made and all the creation from driving around the coastline to, to seeing the mountains and the lush landscape and everything else, just amazed at the beauty that God created. But also in the waters off Hawaii's coast, I got to experience the preciousness of life. So Laura and I, we uh, both sets of our grandfathers served in the Second World War, and none of them were at Pearl Harbor on that date in December 1941. But we did have, each had a grandfather serve in the Pacific, one who was based at Pearl Harbor in Hickam later on. And so it was important for us to go to Pearl Harbor and to experience the Arizona Memorial. Now, I don't know if you know about that, but so uh, the Arizona was one of the battleships there at Pearl Harbor, was sunk on uh, that day in uh, December 7, 1941, where the Japanese attack kind of got us into the war. And the Arizona was one of the ships that was sunk. And uh, it remains there today on the, on the bottom of Pearl Harbor. And the recovery effort for the bodies was so difficult that they decided to leave uh, the rest of the bodies down there. So there are over uh, with, so there are over 900 that are entombed there. But then you add several others who have, uh, who survived the war, but then wanted their ashes to be interred there with their brothers who died on that ship. And there are over a thousand seamen there in that underwater tomb. And so you take a ferry across, and you you stand on this platform, and the platform goes across the ship. And so you're able to look out. Uh, onto the front end, you see the, the, the gun turrets in the front, you're able to look out of the back, and there is one, there is one rear turret that is still uh, above water. And even to this day, uh, you can see the oil coming up from, from the ship. And so it's a very solemn moment. You're there for about 15, 20 minutes. That's all you get because they're trying to get as many people through there as possible. But it's, it's a very solemn moment to just consider the preciousness of life and the lives that were given in defense of our country. And so I got to experience both the, the beauty of life and the preciousness of life now in genesis through deuteronomy we consider that one book right it's the it's the pentateuch what we call it, the five books and moses is going to at the end of this book call israel to a choice he's going to call them to a choice life or death and it seems like a real easy choice to us this morning doesn't it but if you've been paying attention at all while we've been studying the pentateuch you know it's not as easy as it sounds after 40 years of wandering, the people are preparing to enter the land. But there's one man among them who will not enter the land, and that's Moses himself. And Numbers chapter 20 says that Moses acted in unbelief. And because of that, God told them that he would not enter the land. He would not gain possession of the inheritance. Moses' life would end on Mount Nebo. And as the Pentateuch comes to a close, Moses before he dies, is going to implore Israel and is going to implore us to choose life, to choose life. And that's the question I want us to consider this morning. Where is true life found and how is it obtained? Where is true life found and how is it obtained? So if you have a Bible and you're in Deuteronomy 30, we're going to start reading in verse 11. Follow along as I read. This command that I give you today is certainly not too difficult or beyond your reach. 
It is not in heaven so that you have to ask, who will go up to heaven, get it for us, and proclaim it to us so that we may follow it? And it is not across the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea, get it for us, and proclaim it to us so that we may follow it? But the message is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, so that you may follow it. See, today I have set before you life and prosperity, death and adversity. For I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands, statutes, and ordinances, so that you may live and multiply, and the Lord God, your God may bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you do not listen, and you are led astray to bow and worship to other gods and serve them, I tell you today that you will certainly perish and will not prolong your days in the land you are entering to possess across the Jordan. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Love the Lord your God, obey him, and remain faithful to him. For he is your life, and he will prolong your days as you live in the land the Lord swore to give to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's pray together. Our gracious Father, we thank you for this time that we have together as a family here at Open Door time where we open your word and we consider the choice between life and death, blessing and curse, prosperity and adversity. Father, we pray as we look at your word today that you would grant us wisdom, that you would by your spirit cause us to love and follow Christ. Direct our time. May you be glorified. May you be lifted up. Help me to serve this congregation well for your glory we pray in jesus amen choice he's presenting us with a choice and choice is something that americans that we as americans that we just feel is part of who we are right we're all about choice in this country so much so that we feel like a lack of choice is an assault on our freedoms uh, maybe you've heard this phrase decision fatigue this is what happens when you are so tired from making so many decisions that you just are struggling to make any more decisions. Sometimes I get home from work and I step in my house and I'm so tired of making decisions all day long because there are decisions to be made that I get home and my kids want me to make yet another decision and I'm just like, I got no more decisions left. I'm just going to let you choose your own adventure here, okay? Just, just go for it, right? We have so many choices. We have so many decisions to make. And again, we feel like this this choice is part of who we are as americans you know burger king used to have the your way right away slogan it used to be kind of unique but now if you don't get it your way right away you think somehow you're living in communist china you're like what is going on why why are you assaulting my freedoms i i, I want no pickle on my chick-fil-a chicken sandwich which is an amen for me but you know i try not to complain if i get one a quick scan of the harris teeter website maybe not so quick scan of the Harris Teeter website, will yield over 350 options for pickles that you can purchase. Sizes, shapes, flavors, amounts, 
350. You go to the website, it shows you the listing of the pickle products. You get to the bottom, it says, click for more. And you click for more. And then you get to the bottom of that page and it says, click for more. I, I started to do this and I thought, I'm gonna need more time. I've, I've got somewhere I need to be, right? Over 350 options just for pickles. We love choice in this country. In 2017, clinical counselor Rebecca Turnbull summarized the best life criteria in this way. Get up before sunrise, extra points if you catch the sunrise on a hike or a run, slurp back some green juice with your avocado toast, and then get to work in your minimalist home for the company you believe is making a difference. So much of that sounds gross to me, and not just the food part. She goes on to say that the key word in the phrase living your best life is the word your. It's up to you to define. It's up to you to decide. True life, our culture might say, is found in our ability to choose. But our text today will help us to see that life is not found in the ability to choose, but in the choice itself. Not the ability to choose, but the choice itself where true life is found. And so what is it about this choice? What kind of choice does Moses present to us? I want to list four ways in which uh, we can understand this choice that he is putting before us. The first is that it is an urgent choice. It's an urgent choice. Look again with me at the first part of verse 11. This command that I give you today. Now, the command that he's giving, you know, what is the command that he's giving? Is it this command? Is that command? It's a summary of the whole of the law. All right, so he's not referring to one specific commandment. He's referring to the law. This law, this command that I give you today. Now, the word today is found in our text five times. Five times. It's found in verses 11, 15, 16, 18, and 19. Today. Moses is addressing a specific group of people, right? He's addressing a group that has been wandering for 40 years. He's addressing a group whose parents already had to make the choice and they chose poorly. He's saying this choice is not for your parents who are already buried in the desert. And this choice is not for your children who will one day be buried in the promised land. This choice for you is for you today. Today, this choice must be made by you. It is their choice to make. Every generation must decide what they will do with God and with his word. And so you have a choice today, Open Door. You have a choice today, students and kids. You have a choice today, visitors, friends. This choice is yours to make, and it is an urgent choice. It's an urgent choice. But not only is it an urgent choice, it's an active choice. What do I mean by that? Keep reading with me in verse 11. It says, This command that I give you today is certainly not too difficult or beyond your reach. <clears throat> it is not in heaven so that you have to ask, Who will go up to heaven, get it for us, and proclaim it to us so that we may follow it? And it is not across the sea so that you have to ask, Who will cross the sea, get it for us, and proclaim it to us so that we may follow it? But the message is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, so that you may follow it. He says the choice, the message is near. And he uses two images for us to understand what does he mean by that it's very near and it's, it's, it's within our reach. 
It's not beyond our reach. It's not too difficult. The first image that he uses is you don't have to go up to heaven to get it. You don't have to send anybody up there to get it. He also says you don't have to cross the sea to get it. What are the two most important events in Israel's history to this point? The first one he's illustrating here is the giving of the law. Moses goes up the mountain, and in Deuteronomy 4, it says that God gave the law from heaven. A supernatural work where he is inscribing on stone the Ten Commandments. He's giving the law. He says, you don't have, this is not something where you've got to go and do this. You, you are, it's already near. You already have it. What's the other event that he's referring to? Well, when you hear sea and you hear Israel, you hear Red Sea, right? Where Israel, in the Exodus, fleeing Pharaoh and his army, they come to the Red Sea and God parts the waters and they cross safely and God shows his victory over Pharaoh and his army. He's saying, you don't have to have some supernatural trip up a mountain to get this message from God and you don't have to cross the ocean to get this message from God. This message is near you. It is in your mouth so you can talk about it. They've received the law. It's in their mouth so they can talk about it. It's in their heart so they can contemplate it and consider it. The message is near to them. Well, what's the significance of it being near? What are they supposed to do with this commandment? In verses 12, 13, and 14, they all end the same way. In the CSB, they end with the phrase that we may follow it so that you may follow it. Your Bible, it might say, so that you might hear it and obey it. Pastor Duane talked about that word Shema a few weeks ago. It's the same word there, so that you may Shema, you may hear it, you may listen to it, and you may obey it. Choice. This choice is an urgent choice, but it's also an active choice because it's a choice that requires action, which means it's a real choice. It's a real choice. It's a daily choice. I don't know if any of you have ever played that game, Would You Rather? Uh, at its best, it's a way for you to learn about somebody that maybe you are meeting and you're, you're kind of getting to know. Maybe someone's visiting your small group. You're like, let's play Would You Rather. Let's see what they pick, right? We're going to play a little Would You Rather. Now, I don't want you to raise your hands this morning. That's, that's, that's too vulnerable, okay? Just remain closed, okay? Hands in your pockets. All right, but we're going to play a little game of Would You Rather. All right, so here's a few options for you. You ready? Would you rather be forced to sing along or dance to every single song you hear? Now, for some of you, that's a lose-lose. Okay, I'm just going to be honest. Would you rather wear the same socks for a month or the same underwear for a week? And if you'd like to consult somebody, you can talk to our uh, middle school boys about what it's like to wear the same underwear for a week at camp, and they'll be happy to let you know which option would be the better option. Okay? Would you rather be in a zombie apocalypse or a robot apocalypse? AI, anybody? Okay. Would you rather be attacked by one giant chicken? Insert any animal here, generally goes. One giant chicken or a thousand tiny chickens? We had a vote for uh, tiny chickens in the first service. Lastly, uh, maybe you teenage boys, maybe you sit around and say, would you rather date this supermodel or that supermodel? This actress or that actress? So the point of all these questions is not that they're real questions because they don't require any real action. Sorry, guys, you're more likely to be attacked by a giant chicken than to get that date, right? So there's no real action that we're asking you to take with these questions. 
So it's not a real choice. A real choice is going to require action. So it's an urgent choice that Moses is presenting them with, but it's also an active choice. They are to listen and they are to obey. Thirdly, it is a clear choice. It's a clear choice. Follow along with me in verse 15, where Moses says, See, today I have set before you life and prosperity, death and adversity. For I'm commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, statutes, and ordinances, so that you may live, multiply, and the Lord your God may bless you in the land you're entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not listen, and you are led astray to bow and worship to other gods and serve them, I tell you today that you will certainly perish and will not prolong your days in the land you are entering to possess across the Jordan. This choice is urgent and it's active, but it's also a clear choice. There's no confusion about what the choice is that Moses is presenting. He says it's between life and prosperity or death and adversity. How are we to understand these options? Well, he says that a choice for life looks like this. It looks like loving the Lord your God. Verse 16, it looks like walking in his ways. It looks like keeping his commands. You're to love the Lord your God. You're to delight in him, to treasure him, to give yourself completely to him and to orient your life around him and toward him alone. Out of the overflow of that love will come a desire then to walk in his ways and to, to keep his command so we're to love and walk and keep it's interesting that Moses uses this language of walk you think back to the book of Genesis all of those who are described as righteous are those who walked with God you think of men like Enoch and Noah and Abraham they walked with God and they walked by faith and were declared righteous so you love the Lord, you orient your life towards him, you, you trust him and you walk with him and you keep his commands, you listen to his word. And then, and then Moses said, in light of these three things, that there will be three things that will happen. There's three results. The first is that they will live. Second, they will multiply. Third, they will dwell in the land. Now that should sound familiar because that's garden language. Those are the very same promises that he made to Adam and Eve. When he created them, he put them in the garden and they lived with him and they enjoyed fellowship and life with him. And he commanded them in chapter one of Genesis to be fruitful and what? To multiply. And if they walked with him, if they loved him, if they believed him and trusted in his promises and followed his word, they would dwell in that garden and enjoy life with him. But what did they choose? They chose verse 17. But he says, if your heart turns away, if instead of loving the Lord, you're now orienting your life towards something other than God. And when your heart turns away, then you, you stop listening, right? You stop considering God's word and you start listening to somebody else. For Adam and Eve, that was the serpent. They stop listening and they begin to listen to something else. So their heart turns away. They are listening to 
false gods, and then they will be led astray to bow and worship and to serve other gods. Again, this was the choice of Adam and Eve. It is, has been the choice of man since. And the result of this choice is also clear. Verse 18, where Moses says that they will perish and they will not dwell in the land. Again, the result that we see in Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden. They bring death into the world. So the choice is clear. Love, walk, keep God's commands resulting in life or turn away, fail to listen, worship and serve false gods resulting in death. It's a clear choice. It's an active choice. It's an urgent choice. The fourth, it is a consequential choice. It's a consequential choice. Verses 19 and 20, Moses says this, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Love the Lord your God, obey him and remain faithful to him for he is your life. And he will prolong your days as you live in the land the Lord swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's a consequential choice. In uh, our household, uh, I like to say, I don't know that my kids like to say it as much, but I like to say that every choice has a consequence. Now, normally when my kids hear that, uh, they automatically assume that it's a bad consequence because of a bad choice. And to be fair, that's usually when the phrase is coming out, right? <laughs> One of my three boys has made a decision and I'm going, every choice has a consequence, buddy. Here's what's going to happen now. But the reality is true on the other end, right? If you make a wise choice, there can be good consequences. Every choice has a consequence. And here, Moses is again calling Israel to choose. Verse 19, to choose life, to choose life. A couple of weeks ago, our church had the privilege and the joy of participating in a love life prayer walk. Many of us went and we, uh, we went to a local abortion clinic and we walked there and we prayed. And we prayed across the street and we sang songs and we shared the gospel and we prayed and invited moms and dads to consider and to choose life. To choose life. Life is precious. Here at Open Door, we like to speak about a whole life emphasis. And when we say that, what we mean is that not only do we see the preborn being those who are made in God's image, but we see uh, even those who are at the very end of life is made in God's image, right? And worthy of life. We see those with uh, special needs as worthy of life and worthy of respect and made in God's image. All people are created in God's image and are created to enjoy a relationship with him in the beauty and the complexity of this world and in the perfection of the next. Life is precious. And so Moses is imploring the people to love God, to obey God, and to remain faithful to him because why? He is their life. He is their life. 
the Pentateuch begins with Adam and Eve facing a choice. They did not choose life. Here, Moses pleads and begs at the end of the Pentateuch for Israel to choose life. Don't believe the lie. Don't reject the blessing. Don't reject the prosperity that's found only in your God, for he is your life. What would God's people choose? This is not a cliffhanger. You guys know what the answer to that is because it's the answer that has been given since that very day. The rest of our text this morning, outside of Deuteronomy chapter 30, helps us to see what the answer is going to be. Consider chapters 27 and 28. Uh, Moses is again speaking to Israel, and he's laying out for them a list of blessings and curses. And the blessings are the very, very beginning of chapter 28. There's only 14 verses of blessings. Seems like a lot, but then when you consider the number of verses devoted to the curse, to the curses, it's well over 70. All right, so the scale is tipped, right? That might give you a hint about where this thing is going and what Israel is going to choose. Blessing or curse. Chapter 29, verse 22, it says that, and following, it says that Israel is going to abandon the covenant and they're going to be worshiping and serving other gods. That's the second half of chapter 29. And then in chapters 31 to 34, we're going to have a, a regular reminder of the failure to choose life. Because it's in those chapters where we see Moses transitioning out of leadership and dying on Mount Nebo. Chapter 31 Joshua is going to be appointed as the next leader of Israel, the one who would lead them into the promised land. Why would he need to be appointed? Well, it's because Moses acted in unbelief. And God judged him and said, you will not enter the land. We're reminded of Moses' upcoming death and Israel's coming idolatry. In chapter 31, verse 16, it says this, The Lord said to Moses, you are about to rest with your ancestors, and these people will soon prostitute themselves with the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will abandon me and break the covenant I have made with them. So God says that to him in verse 16, and then later in the chapter in verse 29, Moses is going to relay that to the people. Hey guys, I got some news. He's going to say, listen, I'm going to be leaving soon. You guys know I'm about to go die on Mount Nebo. God has told us this. Moses says, after I leave, you guys are going to abandon the covenant. And you're going to worship things that you have, that your hands have made. You're going to worship things that your hands have made. This sounds familiar. What happened the last time Moses left? This is like when you as a parent go out and you're like, all right, kids, don't destroy the house. They destroy the house. And the next time you go out, you're like, all right, don't destroy the house, but you're going to destroy the house, right? The last time Moses left was when he went up the mountain. God was going to give him the Ten Commandments, and he goes up the mountain, and Israel stays down below. They're like, Moses is gone. What should we do? They worship things that their hands have made. They made a golden calf, and they worshiped it. Moses came back down and found them in their idolatry. And now Moses is saying, once again, I'm going to be leaving soon. This time I'm not coming back down the mountain. And you guys are going to give yourselves over to worshiping things your hands have made. That's chapter 31. Chapter 32, it doesn't get much better. God tells Moses to write a song as a witness to Israel's unbelief 
and disobedience. Sounds like a chart topper, right? Hey, Moses, here's a song I want you to write. It's about how my people are going to worship other gods and abandon my covenant with them and basically go apostate. Why don't you go sing it for him? So then later in the chapter, Moses, he recites the song. He'd be like, you show up on Sunday morning and Jimmy's up here and he's like, all y'all church people are going to forsake the Lord. And you're like, is this the special music for today? What are we doing here? It's a terrible song, but he sings it to them. He's like, listen, this is what's going to happen. Chapter 32, he sings this song. Chapter 33, we get the end of life blessings to the tribes, just as Jacob had done, because Moses is about to die. Now, if you recall, uh, last June, I had the privilege of closing out our series in Genesis, where Jacob is dying. And Jacob lays out all these blessings for his kids. Now, uh, this June, I get to do the Moses dying message, and Moses is leaving a blessing for all of Israel. And in both cases, when you read them, you're thinking, I don't know that I would call this a blessing because this sounds like they're not going to do well. And the same thing that happened in Jacob's blessing is happening here in Moses' blessing. Some of them get some positive words. Most of them get some not so positive words. So again, we've got this pattern, right? In 31, 32, 33, and we come to 34, and we have the death of Moses. And Moses is climbing Mount Nebo, and God is talking with him there and it says there in the text in verse 7 that Moses is not dying because his eyes are weak or his body is failing like if Moses were uh in this room at 120 he would be running circles around us like he did not die of old age even though he was 120 what we understand from this is that Moses's death is a judgment he's dying because he acted in unbelief and he was not to enter the land. So at the close of Deuteronomy, we have this picture of a clear choice. And we have a picture of a foolish people who were going to reject God's offer of life and instead choose death, adversity, cursing, and exile. Just like Adam and Eve. But death was not the last word for Adam and Eve. It is not the last word for Israel or for us today. You see, even in the midst of Adam and Eve's regret, God made a promise and God gave hope of one who would come, who would defeat Satan and who would bring about the restoration of all things. This seed of the woman that would come. And as you read through Genesis, you, you find yourself following this seed, right? And we find that it's going to come through the line of Abraham. Abraham is set apart to be, make this nation. And then it's going to go through Isaac, and the seed is going to come from Jacob. And then out of Jacob's 12 sons, we know it's going to come from Judah. And then when Genesis ends and we get to Exodus, we tend to forget about the seed because we're so focused on the law and the giving of the law and the Exodus and all those things, which are amazing. But the seed is still promised. It's still where our hope should lie. And this time, as they're getting ready to enter the promised land, there's a man named Salmon. Salmon is a descendant of Judah. And Solomon is where the line continues on to Christ. Because we know from Matthew 1 that Solomon is going to marry Rahab. Now, who is Rahab? Rahab, we're going to learn in the book of Joshua, is the woman in the city of Jericho who helps the spies. And because she helps the spies, she's spared. She eventually marries Solomon, and she and Solomon became the great-great-grandparents of King David. 
from whom would come the Christ. So we have hope in this seed. And as, ex, as the book of Deuteronomy ends, Moses is ascending Mount Nebo. And in his grace, God allows him to see the land. The promise is still out there. The seed is still coming. And God's grace is still present, even for Moses on his last days. Because he sits on the top of Mount Nebo and he can see all the land. He can see Bethlehem and Jerusalem off this way. And he can look this way and he can see Nazareth and Samaria and Galilee. He can see the land. And this is a picture for us that the inheritance is still there. The offer is still available. Though Israel will fail to choose life and instead abandon God, God will not abandon his people. One will come who will fulfill the law and secure our inheritance by his own obedience. Paul, in Romans chapter 10, is going to help us interpret Deuteronomy 30. And so follow along as I read Romans 10, 4 through 10, where Paul says this. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Since Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law, the one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart, who will go up to heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or, or who will go down into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Christ. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Do you see the language? In verse 6, he says, who's, who's going to go up into heaven to bring Christ down? No one needs to because he has come. Likewise, who will go down into the abyss to raise Christ? No one needs to because Christ has been raised. He is risen and he is alive. His body broken for you. His blood poured out for you. The message that is near is the message of faith, not works. Christ, Christ alone, is your life. John 14, 6 is this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 1 John 5, 11 through 12, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Colossians 3, 3 and 4. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Christ is your life, church. 
no one else can satisfy. No one else can give you purpose and meaning like he can. Christ is your life. No one else can fill you with joy and no one else can know you fully and love you like he does. Christ is your life. No one else can heal your wounds and comfort your sorrows like Christ. Christ is your life abundantly. Christ is your life sufficiently. Christ is your life exclusively. And Christ is your life eternally. Christ is your life. Parents, parents, our children need to see that Christ is our life, not optional, but essential. Our neighbors need to see that Christ is our life. Our coworkers need to see that Christ is our life. Students, your classmates need to see that Christ is your life. Not a shout out on social media, but the sole satisfying center of who you are and everything that you do. Remember what Moses could see? He could see Bethlehem, where our Savior was born. And he could see Nazareth, where our Savior grew up. And he could see Samaria, where he offered life-giving water to the woman at the well. And he could see Galilee, which among all the wonderful things he did in Galilee, he gave life to a dead little girl. Moses could see Jerusalem, where our Savior would come to be crucified, to die in our place, and to be raised. Moses could see it. He could see it. And though he died on Mount Nebo because of judgment of his unbelief, he looked forward to the Messiah. Hebrews 11 says that Moses, Moses was looking ahead to the reward. He was looking at open door. Christ is your life. And today, just as Israel was presented with the choice, so are we life or death. Faith in Christ Jesus or rejection of the son, the savior, the seed of Genesis three. Christ is your life. Where is true life found and how is it obtained? True life is found only in Christ, who is our life. And it is granted through faith in his life, death, and resurrection. True life is found only in Christ, who is our life. And it is granted through faith in his life, death, and resurrection. So today, open door, you're faced with an urgent choice. You've not made that choice to put your faith in Jesus. I want to implore you, as Moses does, to make that choice today. You face an urgent choice. You also face an active choice. Will you today enjoy life with God as you love him and follow him? It's a choice we have to make every morning when we wake up. Where will I find my life today? Today you're faced with a clear choice. Who will you worship and serve? Christ or false gods? Who will you worship and serve? And you're faced with a consequential choice. In Christ, there is freedom and joy, prosperity, and blessing. Christ is our life. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we we give you thanks for doing what only you could do, giving life to those who are dead, giving your Son for those who rebelled. Father, we confess this morning that too many times We've rejected your offer. We've pursued life and other things. Maybe it's in a career. Maybe it's in a position. Maybe it's in the success of our children on a playing field or in a classroom. Maybe it's on the internet. Other nowhere else can we find life. Like Israel, we've discovered that every time we pursue life in something else, it fails us. We're left empty and continuing the search. Father, you remind us today that we don't need to search. Life is found in you alone. I pray that you would help us today to find life in you, to be satisfied in you alone, to orient our lives toward you alone. And I pray for any who are here this morning who have not made that choice. Today is the day of salvation. I pray that they would consider what it would mean to repent and turn from their sin and give their lives to you, believing and trusting in faith that your sacrifice was sufficient. Help us to find our life in you. And may you receive the glory and the honor, the praise, as we do so. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.